0: My name is Jim Derrick, and welcome to another edition of Chapters. On today's program, we'll have a conversation with a real thought leader in the area of public education. Dr. Ann Bergen has dedicated over 40 years of her life to the education of our children as a teacher, principal, and school committee member. We'll have the opportunity to get to know Dr. Bergen and hear more about her thoughts on how public education has evolved over time and where it may be headed in the future. All that and more coming up next on Chapters. My name is Jim Derrick. And my name is
1: Sarah Mabarty, and welcome to another edition of Chapters.
0: Today in the show, Sarah, we are very fortunate to have in our studio a very good friend of ours, a very good friend of the of the Franklin community, and that is Dr. Ann Bergen. Welcome, in.
2: Thank you. It's a pleasure to it, be here. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, and well, Sarah.
0: Yeah, I've but,
2: been waiting for this. I have, too.
0: I've been really looking forward to this interview. Um, my knowledge of Ann goes all the way back to when my oldest son, Michael Derrick, was in uh, in elementary and then on into uh, middle school. Ann was his principal. He still has very fond memories of Anne, in fact, and uh, speaks of her often. Um, for those of you, you that don't know uh, Dr. Berg's experience, she is uh, uh, currently running for re-election to the Franklin School Committee, where she's served uh, since 2015. Um, she's been an educator for many, many, her whole life. And uh, was sharing. We'll we'll hear more about her formative years and how education uh, came to her uh, at a very very young age. Uh, the thought of going to education professionally, um, and uh, was principal for two schools, both the Davis Thayer Elementary School uh, all the way through 1993, and most recently at Horace Mann Middle School in Franklin. Uh, where she uh, retired uh, from uh, being a principal in 2010. Uh, and uh, Anne has a as a uh, list of accomplishments that are too long to read in the air. Mm-hmm. but um, i'm I'm more interested in getting into, uh, and story, uh, the backstory, and also uh, some thoughts on where we are with education now, and what we might be doing differently, and where you see the future of education going in. So, with your permission, why don't we dive into the story? I'm ready. Great, great. You shared with uh, with me earlier that you're a uh, uh, you come from a very large family.
2: Yes, yes. I have five. I had five brothers and sisters. Yes. Grew up in Westwood, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, that was. Uh, Formative part of my uh, life was growing up with um, those siblings that uh, really shaped everything about my life today, you know, and we're still very close. We all still live in the same area and we get together a lot and we laugh a lot. And uh, yeah, we have a lot of good memories. Good.
0: Good, yeah, yeah. And and um, and your parents are, are still living?
2: My mother is. She's your 97. Wow. Oh, yes, yeah. My father died just a few years ago, and uh, they had 68 years of marriage. And, wow. And, uh, yeah, it was great. Great role models to see that sort of relationship. My father, even when... The um, when he w- they were in their 90s and he would my mother would walk into the room and he goes oh there's my Italian bride his face would light up and Aww. you know and I said oh what a good role model so yeah.
0: so mom was Irish dad dad no dad was dad, Irish sorry, my dad, Italian right. yeah, yes
2: yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 That's... So we had, there was a mixed marriage in those days that was uh, not considered a good thing. So. Yeah. No. <laughs> <Right.
0: laughs> really. Now, you, you described to us a little bit uh, uh, before we came on the show that, that your interest in ed- becoming an educator started at a very, very young age. How? I was
2: I was I don't know. The, I, the first memory of, of, of anything was that I wanted to be a teacher. And uh, my poor younger brother, the, um, he was the, the baby and uh, I spent a lot of time with him. But I would try to teach him things. We'd walk around the house, I'd label, uh, uh, point out and label all of the different uh, appliances, and I taught him his colors, and he pretty much, you know, hated me know. after that, because I, but it was just this passion. I played school every single day of my life, I think, you know, all the way through middle school, I just, uh, junior high, I just, uh, that's what I I had to be. That was just my calling, you mm-hmm. know. I was lucky in that I had it, because some people, if you don't have it, you kind of meander a bit. But I just knew, you know, from the moment. So I was lucky that I had that, you
0: know. Did, did you have any role model models in your in your life at that time that were teachers? No. Teachers that impacted you? No. Just, no,
2: I did not. It was even before I went to school. But I do, you know, when I look back, I, I as probably everybody does, you remember fondly those teachers who had an influence in mm-hmm. your life and the ones who were kind and made you, you know, so obviously... Growing up, teachers influenced me certainly, you know, mm-hmm. and I remember that. And I said, I want to be like that teacher. I want to make kids feel the way that teacher made me feel, you mm-hmm. know, those kind of things. But
0: yeah, and I've I've watched you um, both in your role here at Franklin TV. Uh, I've I've uh, watched uh, "It Takes a Village," which is a program that you've produced since 2011. I watched the way you. Um, treat people and, um, what your passion and interests are. Um, and you shared with us earlier that you had, uh, an early childhood experience with, with illness in your family that, that maybe informed you as you were moving forward about being sensitive to people's needs.
2: Yeah. Well that it was, yeah, my mother, um, went through, um, a bout of severe, um, depression, um, Uh, struggled with that to the point where she couldn't cope with us. We were, I was two at the time. Um, She had just uh, given birth to um, my younger sister and sort of postpartum depression type of thing. But um, ultimately we all had to be kind of shipped out with relatives for a while. And, And my poor mother was struggling with, I was mentioning with electric shock therapy before there was any anesthesia. So the poor thing, she was struggling with that. And she lived on and off with depression but the bottom line is you cannot come from that situation without being impacted by it you know mm-hmm. so um we all were in in different ways and um my brothers and sisters uh, a few of them became the uh, you know as they were getting older the class clowns the doofuses they were very bright but um they uh you know school wasn't for them and i watched it i watched um these bright people become you know like I said, um, struggle with life a little bit. And so carrying that um, experience, those experiences from growing up into teaching, then I would look and almost see in my students the faces of my brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. you know. So I'd see the class clown, but that was my brother. So mm-hmm. I would I would get it and be able to talk to them about it. And, and, and just
1: see past exactly what how they're presenting. Ex- exactly. You mentioned you were two when your mother became yes. ill uh, for the first time. And you are the fourth of six children, right? So, who? How old was your oldest sibling at that time?
2: Wow, ten years older than I. So, oh, okay. Yes, and, and so w- very a very important age of transition. Right. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, we were they were a little bit unruly, so everyone ended up um, all of us ended up being uh, put back would one all altogether because oh, everyone gave us up because we were a little hard to deal with so unfortunately we were all shipped back to another relative and it wasn't good mm-hmm. but uh but anyway it really did it framed my experience and and um and I just uh wanted kids to see to, I wanted it, us as educators to to recognize the impact that mental illness has on families and what dysfunction does mm-hmm. and that we have to see behind you have to see the behind the face of indifference. Or the behind, we, we, there are just too many unmotivated kids in our schools. You know, we're great with that top, you know, that top tier, highly motivated. That's great. they the easy the, kids, of course. The ones that are going to go to that's wonderful. They're going to MIT and they're they're thriving, All of that. And some of those kids have their own issues too around pleasing and and perfection. And those. That's a good it, point. It. it but there's that mass in the middle, you know, mm-hmm. and that that was my family, you know, that these untapped, these these people that were struggling with all of these issues. And we know now the statistics sort of on depression and um, anxiety that are flooding, you know, and all how that impacts, but we have to see that. So as, as that's been sort of, even since leaving, um, you know, um, the middle school and going out is just to keep that message out there that we have to really learn the research educate parents about it educate teachers about it and and to see because we're just losing too many you know Mm -hmm. too many of our kids you know
0: i want to remind folks we are listening to dr ann bergen dr bergen is a champion for uh, education uh, in our community and in, in the Franklin uh, community. Uh, she has a lot of experience having been a principal in two schools and an educator for her entire life. And uh, we're fortunate to have her on the school committee. Uh, this is WFPR 102.9 FM LP in Franklin. And you can also find us on chaptersradio.com, which is our podcast. My co-host is Sarah Mabardi. Um And you So all of those exper- formative experiences that you brought with you uh, as a child uh, informed you as you went as you went into education. Um, <clears throat> what what do you think? And I'm kind of skipping ahead here a little bit oh. intentionally because I think you're starting to talk about it. Where do you see the future of education relative to social-emotional health with kids? And and do you see that, do you see it expressing itself already in the schools? So is curriculum starting to, are teachers starting to be trained in that area?
2: Oh, it, it's definitely, you can see it in all of the school improvement plans and the district improvement plan that we are um, absolutely making this a high priority. Uh, I, I think we have a long way to go. I think that And we're beginning to see it, too, because there's been a a culture of of, uh, testing and accountability, which to me has gone way too far Mm -hmm. in terms of um, you talk to high school kids sometimes, and they say, oh, we had Mental Health Health Awareness Week last week, but people don't recognize that actually a lot of the stress is coming from what they're doing in school. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it's sort of... Um, the idea that we have to have more of a balance this 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 huge pressure on testing I think and and you're beginning to see we're beginning to see and this is nationally in the, and in the state uh, shifting the other way that we have to be more than test scores and um, th- the that there's so much more um, t- to life you know and that we're looking at the people who are end up being most successful in life and it isn't the ones who get the necessarily get the high test scores mm-hmm. you know it's
0: do you think the MPa- uh, MCAS helped or hurt?
2: I think in some ways it, it was very it was very good as an educator. Having the standards was very very helpful because I remember when I first began teaching there wa- there really was in Franklin back many many years ago there was no for example science curriculum. You kind of just taught what you wanted. But mm-hmm. now with the standards and the frameworks, particularly in Massachusetts, it makes us very very strong. My only concern is just the emphasis too much of emphasis on the on test results as, as evaluating a school based on one test or saying this is a level one school and this is a level two school because one school may have a few more kids who have learning challenges and the scores one or two points lower and calling it a level one or level two. That stuff, I believe, is going to be going away very, very soon. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it is, it's it's focusing on, um, it's really, I think, a huge component of where we need to be is helping kids maybe understand emotions more and how they impact learning and, and teachers to see that you can't teach if you've got kids in front of you who are depressed or anxious and that understanding what's behind all of that. So, But we are making good progress in it. I don't mean to suggest that, but I think that um, whatever you test, that's what you teach. And I think that we have to, you know... You know, obviously keep our foc- uh, focus on <clears throat> the arts and music and creativity. And mm-hmm. and again, the other part, too, is history and civics and this whole focus on um, detecting bias and fake news and all of these things that we're hearing about and, and understanding the fundamentals of democracy. You know, mm-hmm. the Bill of Rights and what all that means is uh, you know, democracy takes work and our young kids need to be every single day understanding what what it means to be in a democracy. And we're losing that a little bit, you know, because it, you know that the kids aren't aren't learning our history and mm-hmm. they need to. They need to learn the whole history of civil rights and where we were to to appreciate what's going on today. So when when that part isn't even tested, that doesn't get taught Mm -hmm. you know so the 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 idea being that um we have to have that balanced focus and and certainly underpinning of social and emotional has to be there as well but that's my concern with the testing a little bit and, and
1: you know to your point with the testing since my children are just entering elementary school mm-hmm. age, I don't necessarily have the full context in Massachusetts or in the nation um, given your experience in education and the um, length that you've been in it where did you do you see that there was a point where we started going to measurable goals that really was a turning point in education um, and what you see you know we're definitely moving back away from that. In conversation, but we've created this culture of measurable, quantifiable, um, measure like um, judgment or grading of our schools and our children. Um, where did you see that really picking up, and how do you see it re-entering? How do we push that over the edge?
2: Well, you know what it is. You know where I think a lot of it started is as soon as you had a lot of these sort of philanthropists getting involved in in funding education, people like Bill Gates that wanted to make education, a business model, a bottom line, like a business, as if kids could be, you know, products in a business, and that, that it's it's so much more than, than test scores. But that's where I began to see it, is that, that these pe- the corporate takeover, the privatization of education and this, this competition, um, and, and then we forget, you know, that we forget that, that education is about um, character and perseverance, and it's about humor, and it's about wisdom, and it's, it's it's all of those things. It's, it's not a, a spiritual. I don't mean to get that, but but that whole, um, you know, inner strength and and it's it's so much more than test scores. And that that was that's when I began to see it as this whole privatization and these people who think that that business model and accountability and measurement and as if you can do that and and. Um, you know, I, that's that's pretty much where I saw it. Yeah. And
1: going for me, going through high school in the 90s and college in the 90s, um, there was you could see the shift into the achievement and um, that it's where you what you're going to achieve, when you're going to achieve at the timeline, going to the top colleges, depending on your privilege. And you saw that focus where it moved away from, you know, physical education, character development and all of that. Um Yet now we're seeing it become more of a conversation as we see so many children struggling with depression and anxiety. And with the economic disparity in our country, even here in Franklin, we see children coming to school hungry mm-hmm. or from mm-hmm. uh, not stable home environments, and that we need to nurture that more. So, what do you think, in Franklin in particular, can we do to push that?
2: Well, I think, again, um, particularly knowing that we you see we are seeing a dramatic change over the last um, the last generation you know coming in these younger and younger kids not having that ability to, to cope um, more of those kind of acting out behaviors um, and that's why this whole again this whole emphasis on on social emotional learning is so important and teaching kids how to cope really understanding the fundamentals of resilience you know that that they are going to fail, they're going to fall down, they're going to lose sometimes. And instead of paving the way and taking all that away, we have to allow them to experience that sometimes and teach them how to cope and, and talk about the idea that life is tough. And it's, it's going to be tough. It's supposed to be tough sometimes. but And it's going to be tough a lot of the time. But it's not all... We, we want to make everything perfect and rosy. And um, unfortunately, then when kids do face you know, the loss of a friend that kids are going to fight. They're going to lose their friends. They're going to change friends, but it can't be this devastating. My whole world is going to fall apart unless we teach kids that this is supposed to happen. This is what growth and change is all about, but we're not even giving them the opportunity now to experience that and teach them how to cope and, I, and talk I, them through it.
0: I love the fact that you just brought, brought up resilience and teaching kids how to become resilient. Um, to me, uh, education can't be complete without that because life will throw you a curveball. Mm -hmm. Um, And if it hasn't yet, you just haven't lived long enough. Um, It's to me, uh, I know my son was very fortunate. And I spoke to you earlier about some people. uh, Pete uh, Pascorosa, if if you're listening, uh, (laughs) fundamentally uh, changed my son's perspective on just that, which Mm -hmm. was failure. Uh, Failure is deemed by getting cut from baseball uh, repeatedly. Uh, But the success and the incredible joy that I got as a parent was to watch my son's uh, reaction to failure, which was deepening his commitment to try a little bit harder next time. And then when it wasn't for him going off with Marushka Waters to (laughs) drama. And, and, and so, but that is, that is um, really what, what uh, we all need to learn, um, and I know, being an adult that's had his share of failure, um, uh, to me, that's that's the uh, that's fertile ground for growth, growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that sometimes too much success is 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 uh, can be a problem. You
2: know what? You you sparked in me though something when you were talking about what we can do, but it just you know, when you look at the research around um, yeah. people who are successful and all that, one of the things you hear all the time is that we want. Um, the world needs a creativity and innovation but from where does that come when you look at the research it comes from play Yes, (laughs) it comes from that interesting it's and we've taken play so much out of and and you look at the the ones who are these uh, inventors and these these innovators don't come because they've had tons of science courses a lot of it's because they've had they've had time to play and think Mm. and reflect and and they have a lot of music in their backgrounds so this oh, this idea of just pushing academic standards down because the business model thinks that this is the way we're going to compete with the chinese is by forcing academics on five-year-olds is absolutely absurd they need to play use their imagination be creative give them some boxes to play with see what they can do rather than you know it's it's we've gone off a little bit too far with this Mm -hmm. whole thing i I, Mm -hmm. i think
1: culturally even if you look at what we present to our children as options for play i mean you just nailed it the idea of play Lego sets used to be random Legos that you constructed with and were creative with. Now, parents buy $150 Lego sets that create a ship. And the pieces go in very specific places. I never realized. And there's no room for deviation. If you mess something up, you don't achieve your goal. Um, So Legos, Um, in my son's preschool last year, um, they couldn't go out because it was too muddy. And this is a Montessori child-centric school um, because of liability. Um, oh, it's too muddy. Goodness. Jump in mud puddles. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so even if you look beyond our academic structure and um, culture, our culture as a whole, I live in a neighborhood, there are dozens of children that live there, but they can't go out and play. Right. Because right. there are no children out there in right. team sports, structured activities, after-school activities, everything is so structured, and so we've created this society where everything is mapped out for us. Yes. Therefore, we don't have to yeah. be uncomfortable.
0: You know, Sarah, I I, I think what you yeah. said is so important. I I coach baseball at um at Mount Saint Charles Academy in in Rhode Island, and unfortunately, what I see is this AAU, this this structured. Um, uh... Format of of, quote play where parents are now paying big dollars, uh, where there's a paid coaching staff. And these are for relatively young kids. I'm talking middle school kids. By the time they get to our fields at the school, they have dead eyes. And what I mean by that is they just don't look excited. And why would they be? They've been on fields all weekend long, literally playing, sometimes practicing, playing eight hours baseball. By the time they get to us, they're absolutely exhausted. And the joy, of just playing Mm -hmm. the game is gone. And it's not their fault. And it really is a big, big problem. I talked to other coaches um, at, at higher levels and, and the distraction that these kids have away from uh, what what the real intended goal is, which is to learn how to be a teammate and learn how to play and enjoy mud puddles mm-hmm. <laughs> and all of that stuff is, is kind Get of dirty. stripped a bit. But yeah.
2: one of the things, just following up on that, when you look at the research, what psychologists and psychiatrists are saying when they have young people in their offices is many, many young people, because they Love their parents so much, don't want to disappoint them, and don't want to quit a team. Absolutely, but they're staying on these teams because the parents are so invested in it, mm-hmm. which is really sad. But they said that's becoming. M- Very, very common. And even listening to Ryan Jetty and he said the number of kids that burned out, you know, he can give you the statistics on that as well. How sad is that?
0: Yeah. Um, I just want to remind folks, if you're just tuning in, we are uh, having a conversation with Dr. Ann Bergen. Dr. Ann Bergen is an educator, has been with us in Franklin, thankfully, for many years and is currently on the school committee. My name is Jim Derrick. My co-host is Sarah Mabarty, and we are on 102.9 FM, Franklin Radio. We can also be found on our podcast, Chapters Radio.com. We're talking to Ann about her uh, perspective on our education and social-emotional health for our kids. Um, Ann, I'm curious, um, how have things changed? You started in education uh, back in 74 at Davis Thayer. That's right. And uh, so you've seen a significant amount of change over that time. Um, Can you describe to me what what the environment was like back in the 70s? Oh,
2: my goodness. You know, that's a really good question because I, I talk about this a lot is that when I first started teaching in Franklin, Franklin was far removed from every from the world essentially. There was no uh train to Boston, 495, the uh, whole computer industry wasn't there. It was a very kind of rural uh out of the loop uh community back then. But then things began to change dramatically when I first um took over at Davis there. Um it was um with the with Boston beca- it became uh, excuse me uh, the railroad you know the state uh, MBTA mm-hmm. um, the commuter line to Boston all of that and the neighborhood started to change well you know what the big difference was then we had parents flooding into the schools to help and we started 1980 was a time when when I first came in um, was a time when um, there was a, a Proposition Two and a Half was passed, and it, it limited the amount of um, funding for schools, and we, there were huge amounts of layoffs of, of staff and programs that were cut. And for many years in the 80s, it was always pink slips being handed out to teachers and never knowing if we were going to be able to, you know, what we were going to be able to fund. So mm-hmm. it was it was um, huge. And then, of course, on the other side of that, um, then the, as the town began to... to um, grow um, we had to build you know um, another middle school Uh, Mm -hmm. first it was um, uh, Remington right uh, and then it was you know redistricting and dividing that up and then Annie Sullivan came on board renovating Horace Mann moving all of us over to Annie Sullivan while that renovation was happening um, then there was a delay. So we were all jammed into Annie Sullivan, 800 plus kids in a school designed for no more than 600 while we were waiting to get back to Horace Mann um, to the renovated school. So there were a lot of challenges that went along with that, but everybody worked together and we made it happen. But mm. it was a, it was a challenging time for sure. You know, packing up that school in one weekend, moving over. Oh wow! Yeah, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah.
0: And I remember uh, standing outside the high school and having all the kids yelling at me and parents as well about uh, overrides to two and a half oh, right. budget overrides. Um, it's There's really a lot of misconception about how uh, school uh, buildings are funded and what state matches are, and, and, and I'm not educated to that. I just know enough right. to be dangerous. Um, but uh, can you talk about some of the mis- misperceptions that people have and how it impacts budgets and, and schools in general That's and a education? Great
2: question. Well, it's. I mean, it's yeah. It's in terms of, yeah, like the the, um, the state did, which we were really lucky, you know, did fund, you know, they give it, I forget if it's like 69% of the building project that the state right. does fund, you yeah. know, that, that, and, and we were lucky in that with the high school, the town did vote, um, you know, debt exclusion to fund that high school um, where, but a, a huge proportion of it obviously comes from, from state funding, but, you know, the budget issues, you um, we're 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 so limited um, in in being able to do anything more than just maintain, you know, because um, we are limited by two and a half, which is um, you know, um, and um, the other thing in education is that the state puts all these mandates. In other words, they say you must um, you know you have to do, um, for example, all of the um, sheltered English immersion. Um, You have to train your teachers in in, in dealing with kids who come in and obviously speaking um, different languages from different cultures. You have to test them. There's no money for that. Um, A lot of special ed mandates that are put on the schools, the state mandates, a lot of screenings uh, that cost money, the state Mm -hmm. mandates. We're not given any funding for that. So increasingly, the state puts more and more mandates, but we're held to the same. So then you say, okay, what are we going to save what are we going to lose and then you look at over the years like the fees that if the parents have to pay you talk yes. about you talk about income I mean disparity mm-hmm. and, and we know because Robert Putnam was here when he came to speak yes. about um, Harvard a professor excellent. right and remember he said excellent. you think that fees don't affect and impact families that their, their kids aren't going to mm-hmm. try out for sports or do things if they have to pay. Right. Uh, things that never, you know, pay for transportation. And you hear the agony in parents' voices, I've got five kids or three kids and I live two feet from the line, you know, and I can't get on a bus and I have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Those those are agonizing things that we have to deal with and, and you know, it's it's tough when you have to make those decisions and the programs that we've lost over there. And we have a great school system. But you know, we did lose foreign. We lost French and um, uh, Latin at the at the middle level. Our general music program at the middle level was cut out. Um, again, with all the fees, it's 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 hard to maintain. You know, without you know keeping it when all those mandates come on and the cost of health insurance is skyrocketing mm-hmm. over the years. And and um, so. To maintain our services is really challenging. Yeah, you know. i uh, go ahead, sir.
1: <laughs> um, I'll take this one. Yes. And this is to my point when I was speaking to you earlier is where we see... We're talking about the changes to socio-emotional health and executive function and emotional intelligence for our children. We're talking about it. We're raising awareness. Yet there's so many obstacles in play, Mm -hmm. just like you said, with the fees for sports. My son doesn't play lacrosse. Why doesn't he play lacrosse? That's an expensive sport. Hockey. And even in these organized structures, Kids that can't afford to play the sports, they can't go in the yard and play anymore because all the other kids are in the sports. That's right. And so they're getting socially excluded and therefore reinforcing that other. That's exactly it. And so we're trying to have these children who feel safe and feel included um, and feel confident in who they are there's just one more obstacle. And if the schools can't fund the resources, um, there's all these mandates coming in nationally and statewide that are so important to make sure we have some sort of level playing field and standards across different school communities. Um, But where do those resources come from? And you had said having a PCO, a lot of times that fundraising sponsors extracurricular or um, enrichment programs. But where do you see, what can we do as a community? I'll bring this right to Franklin. Yeah. What can we do as a parent community, as a community of people who care about one another, to make sure our children are supported, to move that closer to um, building their emotional strength?
2: I, I, I agree. I think that um, one of the issues, too, is, is um, you know, in a, obviously in a community, it, it, this lim- there are limited resources we were talking about this last night at the candidates night the police and fire and and people who manage the town have to balance all that you know and and schools take a big chunk of the money but it is it is a question of priorities you know is it and and it's really being a voice out there and we know now that grassroots is really important in a democracy especially the people have to speak and 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 the voters and the citizens have to come forward and say this is what we need these are our priorities maybe we have to shift some things to make this happen maybe we do less here and more here if we're going to really meet the needs of um of all of the kids in our schools but we even when we look at one of the things uh, Jim and I have talked about a lot is this whole substance use disorder which has a many often has a mental health underpinning to it and we look at the numbers of of kids who young people old people, um, crosses all all ages and socioeconomic groups who have died or are suffering from the disease. But we've lost in the town all the, the social service agencies that used to be here years ago. Is that a priority? Do the voters want that? Um, how do we make that? How do we let our elected officials know that these are the things that are important to us? But we have to be voice out there. Maybe people can't do it, or, but at least we have to be heard. And as we were saying last night also, is that we have to make the case for it, whether or not people, but, but we have to be willing and courageous enough to say, this is what we need for our kids. Mm-hmm. And we can't neglect this. And then, then the voters can decide if this is what they want for their community. But if we are silent, and we don't make a big, you know, hue and cry for what we need, particularly for mental health, you look at the, the Metro West survey that came out in this area, the health survey, the, the biggest thing issue confronting that everybody who took that survey in the whole metro west region said it's mental health and substance use so if that's a priority where are we putting our money Mm -hmm. let's look at the let's look at the town budget what have we invested if this is what everyone is saying is the most important thing we're our voices need to be out there right and to say this is what we need to be a priority so anyway i talked a lot no No, and (laughs) i was
1: gonna say very often um Compounded with that, I feel like we live in a society where everyone's attention is so we are getting more information in a day um, into our minds than we used to get in a year. Um, There's a statistics out there. I'll get it for Jim to post it on the uh, website to link with this pod, or with this uh, Podcast, episode. Yeah. But uh, we are getting more information in a day than we used to get in a year and processing all of mm-hmm. that and creating the time and opportunity to do the advocacy and prioritize um, as a society. We're so stretched out, not because we have fewer hours in a day, but because we're processing so much more, and so how to create that priority and uh, have that focus
0: in town? You know, it seems uh, we were talking about having that. In has that really unique and great ability to take the thirty-six thousand view and see the connectivity between education, mental health, and all the other services that that are needed and uh, by 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 townspeople. Um, and uh, it just seems to me, across the board, we are asking people, professionals that are that are educators in this case, to do more with less, year after year after year. Am I missing that? That's what it feels like.
2: To well, me. it's it's true when you think about. We we talked about it again. It's just, and I think there's kind of a misconception um, because when you talk to older um, citizens and people who grew up in a different time, including myself, is that the the, the changes are so great that. Sometimes people think that it's still the day when you sit the kids sit with their hands folded and you just give them um, a book to read, and that's what education is all about. It's so much more complex now that we know we understand so much more about human nature and, and the research on teaching, and it's so much more complex with technology and, and, and um, the cost associated with that, just the training alone, just professional development. And then again, you look back to budget ish- issues when, If you don't pay your uh, teachers a salary, they'll go other places. And you've invested all of that training, all of that time in in training. And then they go to places where they can make more money. So you lose all of that investment, you know. So is it worth it maybe keeping our salaries competitive, you know, so that we retain teachers? Because we lose too many, too many that go off to um, where they can make more Mm -hmm. money. And and we do the training. Mm So it's it's more with less. And you're... um, particularly when you're dealing with um, professional development.
0: I want to remind people we're having a conversation with Dr. Ann Bergen. My name is Jim Derrick. My co-host is Sarah Mabardi. Uh, The name of the show is Chapters. You can find us on our podcast at www.chaptersradio.com. We are also on WFPR uh, 102.9 Franklin Public Radio. Um, we were just talking about teachers doing more with less and and, and, uh, and also and I just wanted to kind of expand on that. Um, we hear at least anecdotally in speaking to parents, I hear, well, they're all just teaching to tests now. They're all just teaching to mandates. The, uh, the focus has gone away from the student and on to what what they're, you know, how the teacher is going to be evaluated based on mandates. Is that, is that a fallacy or is that true?
2: No, I, I think if you, especially if you look at the, the uh, school improvement plans, um, of all of the you know, the goals and objectives of all of the schools uh, from the high school all the way down to the early childhood center that um, it is um, there is the pressure of course which is my, one of my concerns and I think that's shifting as we mentioned earlier that away from the too much focusing on testing and results but um, wh- when you look at the initiatives that are happening in the schools now like re- responsive classroom and um, which is a focus on social um, social emotional health you look at zones of regulation another program at the early elementary age where teachers are modeling how to handle emotions with kids Um, you're looking at this whole world of difference program to really um, that's being incorporated at the middle level um, dealing with um, tolerance and respect and civility because we know what's happening out in the culture um, out in in the world and the cultural divide in this country and this lack of tolerance and understanding of other um, other religions and other ethnic ethnicities and cultures and all of that. This this common understanding, so that you see that whole emphasis there, um, and you see the, the the breadth of clubs and activities that are offered. Even though you know there are fees attached to them, which is unfortunate. You know you see robotics and you see creative arts and you see uh, the whole fine arts academy at the high school and people like Marushka and all the work they're doing in the. Um, so it it is not clearly not just teaching to the test. Um, um, so that is a myth. That's a myth. Yeah. That's a myth. I'm glad, I'm glad you cleared that. Yeah. Up. But unfortunately, it is a common refrain. Right. That I even hear, you know, at the elementary right? and uh, kindergarten level. Yeah, you know? I, I think it's. I think we have to. We have to really take a good, objective look and mm-hmm. say, is it working? You know, and and, uh, and again, really look at the things we talked about earlier creativity play you know developmentally appropriate what's you know and, and let kids have a childhood you know don't take it away from them You know, and it's
1: just. dr bergen in this conversation in my prior conversations with you in other contexts i'm always humbled by your passion and your knowledge and your commitment to um children and and raising them and focusing on their strengths and i actually I'm excited that you retired in 2015. (laughs) And the reason I say that is, as an administrator, you are divided between so many responsibilities that are practical, as you had mentioned um, in separate conversation, keeping the sidewalks clear, making (laughs) sure the building is secure, making sure the teachers are paid, all of these administrative responsibilities. And since 2015, you're on the school committee. And does that, my enthusiasm comes from, does that offer you a a little bit of freedom in where you put your time and your energy—that you can really focus on that that which you are passionate about—and what do you see yourself doing with that?
2: Oh, well, that's a, no, that's a good question. Yeah, no, I just um, I I love having the uh, the time, you know. Uh, More time to do those kinds of things and being on the school committee, certainly, and and the different subcommittees of the school committee alone, just that dealing with budget and community relations and going out and talking to the community, that piece, and then being able to work with um, Jim with the uh, Safe Coalition, doing the the interviews with... um, all of the people that Jim brings in that we can talk about their experiences and sharing their stories, and then from there, like I said, that that's allowed me to get this mu- a bigger breadth of understanding about again resilience, and that's my passion. You, as you know, from you know mental health and, and and those things, and how we address that in the schools and help every kid reach his or her potential. So having that experience and the time to work with Jim on that, and to meet all those people, and I've been trying to do some writing as well, um, and doing a lot of I. I, I Research about well being and, and um, as I, as I mentioned earlier when we were talking, is, is looking at all the research about the people who are thriving out in the world. What is it about them that allows them looking at the research of those who flourish and thrive and saying, okay, how do we back that and bring so that's allowed me the time to go and look and really research the fundamentals of well being. So then on the school committee, it's a prism through which I can look to when I ask my questions, you know, and when I, you know. You don't micromanage schools from the school committee. That's not our job. But we can certainly help create the culture in the schools and to ask the right questions. You know, So it's given me the time to do that by doing a lot of that research, which I found, which I didn't have the time to do before, which is sort of my passion. And I'm also working on the board of managers at the um, YMCA, the uh, burnin Family Branch, and partnering with the um, people from the Y. We've got some great ideas that we're planning Um through this partnership so that's given me time to do that you know to meet with uh, scott martin from the he's incredible wonderful, Um, and uh yeah so that's you know it's just giving me another avenue right where i don't have to worry about the sidewalks Mm -hmm. and uh you know and then you uh, when you're the when you're the principal it's you're always worried about safety all the time you Mm -hmm. know every single day when you think you have those lives in your hands and you have to you're always on alert going around and saying is everybody safe and is, is is are the doors all locked and in this day and age that was you know, that's a huge thing. And you you don't sleep at night because you're, you know, so it's all those, you know,
0: know, and I'm I'm so glad you brought that up, Sarah. I share uh, your admiration for Dr. Bergen. Um, It's one of the reasons why I asked her to be on this show. It is the reason. Um, I uh, have the great fortune of working with Dr. Bergen through the Safe Coalition. And um, she doesn't, Dr. Bergen doesn't doesn't do things halfway. Mm -hmm. She quietly does things full throttle. Um, And I could go on and on and on about that. But my point is that, um we're really really fortunate to have you in in, in this town and and I want to publicly thank you uh for your passion and dedication, beca- dedication because we are a better community because of you.
2: Well that means a lot and Absolutely. I appreciate that. No I appreciate that cuz it's it's my joy. It's it's you know it's it's when you get a chance to practice what you love it's it it brings satisfaction so
0: yes. And where do you, where do you see things going? I mean you seem very very optimistic. I know that we're working now together I was very thankful that you that you invited me to the table on the um, on, on the task force for substance uh, abuse policy over at the high school, and the schools in yes. general. Um, and that's a wonderful committee of collaboration. Um, but we, are you are you optimistic? Do you see a lot of energy and and things going oh, in the right I direction? Oh, I certainly do.
2: I certainly do. I know, like Peter Light is so the assistant superintendent is so absolutely dedicated to this whole idea of addressing. Um, both the mental health aspects that are associated with substance use and those, you know, the kids who are young people who are already kind of in the throes of, of experimentation and, and heading toward um, trouble in that area. He's so focused on that. So I see, I'm and, and really doing a lot of um, work in that area, you know, and, um, yeah, and one of the things we're, we're talking a lot about, Beth Whitcoff and, and I were having a conversation about um, doing something to target the middle level student, um, so that we can create an after-school program that goes till six o'clock the way we have one for the kids in, um, the early, you know, solutions and that, because mm-hmm. it, we're finding that those kids are left unattended. And,
0: and this is at the middle school At level. the
2: middle level, yeah. at the middle level, because too many kids are going home to empty homes yeah. and that's where a lot of this experimentation starts to happen. Mm-hmm. So at the middle level, and this is what, part of this, when we're talking about this substance use, um, task force that um, that Jim is part of um, now at, um, is really exploring different ways and different groups from um, subcommittees on this are really actively going yeah. after this, right? And yeah. it's going after the whole prevention thing and looking at mental health awareness. And um, Kristen uh, Latendra, um, who's incredible, the health and yes. um, curriculum director, is, is passionate about this. So you've got all these key people and the high school counselors and well, you know, because you you had a chance to They're incredible, and even and, and now we've got the police are on there, the detective. They weren't able to come last time because they were, you know, out doing police business. But um, it's they tend a, to do that. Yeah, it's yeah. a great it's a great uh, group of people. Well, you isn't know, it? It physicians. Was, right, and, and
0: we know Derek Getchell, yes. uh, who's a champion for speaking to young people. Uh, he's actually spoken to Franklin High School. He did seventeen classes last year uh, at Franklin High School, and he did a thousand spoke to over a thousand. Uh, young people at Medway, um, his talk, uh, which was really organically grown, Derek is well uh, you get him going, and it's hard to stop him. He is full of enthusiasm, and, and he's a really good speaker, but uh, 15% of his talk has to do with the carnage of what became a terrible addiction to heroin, and the balance, 85% of his talk is on the feelings, thoughts, and emotions he had that made him want to reach for something to numb those and his point is and i think the point that i'm making here is that um we need to push this all of that everything we've been talking about that that dr bergen's been talking about that sarah's been helping uh, add emphasis to um the importance in that is so broad it goes from all the way from mental health to uh, being able to predict whether or not somebody's going to be uh, be able to self-actualize in the future and find their passion and their vocation, to even to whether or not somebody's going to reach for substances and potentially develop a substance use disorder. And so, uh, as Derek is, is tells me often, it's not about the drugs, Jim. It's about everything you guys have been talking about for, with education, mm-hmm. all starting at the kindergarten age and, and through that. And that's the return on investment.
2: Absolutely. Is
0: creating uh, socially and, and emotionally healthy Human it is.
2: It's really, it's understanding emotions and all those feelings at an early age. And mm-hmm. that's where the training comes in, because it, the more that the teachers can help kids, They first they have to understand their own emotions. Mm-hmm. A lot of them don't understand the impact of negative emotions on their own lives and how negative emotions stifle joy and creativity in teaching. And we have to certainly, I think, unleash that, teach them about their own emotions so then they, in turn, can model it for the kids in front of them. But if we don't compi- you know, put that piece in, but it's just a lecture to kids, that's going to do n- absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Sure. Because the power of us as role models and how we handle our own emotions, how we deal with our own stress. I had a drug um, counselor on I love from Westwood who came on. I interviewed a couple of years ago. And he said, okay, yeah. He said, you have a parent who goes home, has a stressful day. What do they do? What does the kid see? Reach for a drink. Instead of saying, boy, I'm feeling stressful. I'm going to go out and go down and do 50 jumping jacks or go out and take a walk. or Because it's... they." what is modeled for them. That you know, old so. phrase,
0: oh, I need a drink. That's
2: it. But, right. you know, he spoke so eloquently about that. Yeah. And, you know, so it, it really is. Um, and again, it goes back to the training and, and what we what they see us as adults do and how we model it for kids. But mm-hmm. uh, it makes education so much more complex than people ever realize. So it's
0: not, it's not a lecture. It's adopting the behavior yourself. It, exactly.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's where it's so
1: important to reach out to our children. And I think we're at a turning point in our society where we're realizing how important that is so that when they are adults and they are passing on these patterns to their children and the next generation, that we're all equipped with these tools and this wisdom to move forward in a healthy Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. That's
2: right.
0: And one thing we haven't talked about today is your family life. So you are married?
2: Yes, I am. I've been married for, oh, gosh, I forget. 20 years, I think. Yes. 20 yes. years. Uh-huh. Yes. You have a daughter? I have a daughter, yes. Mary-Kate, who graduated, who uh, went through the Franklin Public Schools. She did. Oh, yes.
0: Did she have Dr. Bergen as a teacher?
2: She had me as a principal for a very short time, and it wasn't Ooh. a good combination. I was
0: just wondering yeah, about it. it wasn't
2: that. good. Tends to go that way. Yeah. No, it wasn't uh, for her. And, and <laughs> I get so nervous because... I didn't want her to getting any kind of special treatment or so, but it was a good thing because then um, we moved to the Remington district. So she wasn't in the uh, horseman school anymore. So thank goodness for that. So she didn't have to be around me all day. And yeah, so that worked out fine.
0: I'm guessing she went off to college.
2: Yeah. She graduated from Brown University and she just got her um, master's in um, public policy and MBA from um, Brandeis.
0: I have a funny feeling she has a role model. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. She's. A, she's.
2: Oh, she was. Who much, cares about education? Much, yeah. Much better student than I ever was. Really. Uh, and not because of, I pushed her, because I pretty mm. much neglected the poor thing. Yeah. <laughs> she was. She, uh, she would spend her summers. She said, "Mom, you know, you remember I would spend my summers delivering supplies to the classrooms." I said, "Yes, yeah, she did." Um, As but, we've discussed, though, <laughs> resilience. She, yes. Well, she did learn. She learned how to do her own laundry. Many days I'd come home, she would have made dinner.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
2: said, oh, thank you, Mary-Kate, because, yeah, so, but we laugh about it because, yes, yeah, she, she said, uh, I said, Mary-Kate, you have to forgive me now. You know, you have to um, uh, understand. I did the best I could, and um, because I was a single parent for a while with Mary-Kate, it was just the two of us. But she, but like I said, it was resilience, and she did kind of uh, bounce back from yeah. it all. But we yeah. do laugh, you know, yeah. it was... Uh,
0: yeah. yeah, it wasn't good. And, and, and how else do you, what do you do in your spare time other than, um, I, I know that you're very involved at the Senior Center.
2: I go to the Senior Center to just to through the Community Relations Subcommittee. That's really only, just to interview and, you know, to meet with seniors and things sure. like that. But I do, I love tennis. I play tennis all the time. I you, stink. You're
0: very active. Yeah, but you're uh, very active. You do Pilates, I think, at Senior Center, you mentioned to me? No. Was that you? No. No, that wasn't okay. me. Okay. No. Maybe it's you, Sarah. Are you using the senior center before you're eligible? No. Okay. I
2: think I should be doing Pilates at the senior center. I thought that was you. I'm sorry. So you play tennis. I play tennis and I try golf and I stink at that. Let's see. What else do I do? That's pretty much it. Mm. Um, Yeah. A lot of tennis. Because Mm -hmm. that's just, you know, just the whole stress thing. I try to run. I do some road races if I think I can win in my age category (laughs) because I like the
0: medals. So we found another area (laughs) that Jeff Roy and Ann have in common. Jeff Jeff, Roy and I have been in races together. Jeff Roy loves to win the age category, the appropriate age category.
2: (laughs) He and I compete in the road races. Yeah, he's younger, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So you They have a wall of medals from your Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? But you're, you're
0: not a snowboard bird and you don't plan on being one. So, no, not for me. No, yeah. no, no, yeah.
2: no. That's not going to happen. Okay. I do love the winters. Do you? Yeah, I do. I love the, uh, the I love watching weather and I track the storms like two weeks ahead of time. Okay. I love the. Uh, yeah. As long as I can stay in and watch my husband out, you know, shoveling. Sure. Now, I waved him from the window and uh, mm-hmm. things like that. So
0: when you're tracking the weather, there's nothing better than you could hear than a, here comes a double barreled low.
2: Yeah, things like Which that. Which
0: means a huge snow dump.
2: Yeah, there you go. And they said this winter particularly is going to be tough. Really? Um, yeah, oh, sure. I was oh, going sure. to say oh, that
1: sure. this winter, 2017, 2018, is supposed to be really? a yeah. very well, you know,
0: trying winter. Do you know Kevin lemanowitz Of course. Yes. Oh, well, we-
2: I don't really know him well. I just know him from watching him on TV. Sure. And he has kids. I know he has kids. Oh, he wonderful kids. And,
0: yeah. uh, I, I spent some time with uh, one of his sons, uh, coaching him and uh, coaching him. <laughs> that sounds like... I was actually on the field yelling at the kids one time. <laughs> Years ago, but you're I, in
1: the same space at one yeah, point.
0: Yeah, but uh, but it's fun to go to a game with Kevin because he'll predict. He just sitting there on his phone, and he'll he'll say, "Well, we're about to get rain," and you're looking around and saying, "No, we're not." And two minutes later, you're, you're 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 rained out. But so you're a weather geek like I am.
2: Oh, please, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, always happen. Yeah. yeah,
0: you're tracking the hurricanes, all that. And, yeah, and
2: then they took a wet from Verizon, dropped the Weather Channel, and I wrote the first letter what? I ever wrote the- to. <laughs> was please bring back the Weather Channel. Because I used to love to watch the guys out there in the blizzard. Oh and, yeah, uh, hanging you know, on the. It lamp was like posts? Shelby Scott back in the old days on WBC. Oh at WBZ. God, rest
0: her soul. Yeah, Wasn't I she know. wonderful? She was. She good. would report from the median strip. Yeah. You're too young to remember this. Yeah,
1: I'm just watching you guys. So
0: <laughs> Shelby <laughs> Scott, Shelby Scott sounded like uh, Johnny Most because Shelby probably smoked six packs of cigarettes yes, a yes. day. Yes. Oh gosh. And so she'd be out in the middle of the weather. She say yeah, well, "We got a big storm out here, and I'm on the Leverett Connector, and cars are going everywhere." Right? Remember those days?
2: Oh, are you kidding me? And, but then they'd always have like the the uh, the uh twenty five year old model in um, doing the you know, in the warm <laughs> studio. In the studio and then they say, Oh poor Shelby poor she's Shelby. but she did love it, I think. She I, loved her she loved her weather. I
0: think she did. Don yeah. Kent.
2: John um, Kent, Blizzard of Seventy Eight. Remember that? He said, it's going to be anywhere from two inches to 48. That guy was. And he was <laughs> he right. Was, <laughs> he was right.
0: Well, that's back before the green screen. I mean, they had the, like the cardboard set <laughs> and they put a sun up and then a little cloud over it. It's like the kids at Remington were No offense to the kids at Remington, but I mean, they were making these sets. It was. They didn't have what they yeah. have now in terms of technology. Oh, sure. What a program this has been. Uh, I feel so, um, so lucky to have have had the opportunity. To no, this was me, great. I appreciate
2: so much the. I, I hate yeah. to you know expound. It's yeah. like feel like a big show off, whatever. Not but it's, at all. But I, I, I uh, you gave me the opportunity to sort of share my views on yeah. things, and it's yeah. good. You know, yeah. I think the more conversations like this. We so have. now I'm going
0: to surprise you with a uh, with a real a question out of the blue. Uh oh! And I am going to ask you your favorite song and favorite musical performer that performs oh. that song.
2: Oh, I know. You know, it's it's kind of sad because it was um, the way we were. You know, from that movie. Mm-hmm. I was, brings it resonates a sad Barbara Streisand from the movie. You know, mm-hmm. the way we were. I think whenever I hear that, I start sobbing. So maybe that's mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> okay. So Ann Bergen's playlist absolutely has Barbara Streisand, "The Way We Were." And so, if you're riding around listening to this, or you're or you're listening to the podcast, go ahead and have a cry within. This is. The Way We Were by Barbara Streisand. My name is Jim Derrick.
1: And I am Sarah Mabardi.
0: Saying thank you to Dr. Ian Bergen, and we'll catch you next time.
2: Thank you.